Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 374, Architecture Business Succession Planning with Stephen Goodman. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsor, RCAD, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and so much more at RCAT.com. Stephen Goodman, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Walk, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's great to have you here. For more than 20 years, Stephen Goodman has provided insightful solutions to the challenges of business succession, wealth preservation, and charitable planning, focusing on the needs of owners of closely held businesses and uh, high net worth individuals. He currently serves over 200 clients. Stephen Goodman has authored numerous trade articles for leading trade journals and has paired with some of the most respected names in banking and finance to sponsor some 150 seminars about business succession and wealth preservation. Stephen Goodman is a CPA who was vice president of the trust and investment division of J.P. Morgan Chase and a supervisor for KPMG, Pete Marwick. He holds a, an MBA from Fordham University and before we get started with our conversation today, Stephen, I want to talk about you a little bit. I want to learn where you come from. I want to know your origin story. So go back to where you discovered your passion for what you do today and share your story to where you are these days. 
Well, thanks, Mark. Uh, you know, you, you never know what, what direction you're going to take in life. So when I was in school, you know, I had a, you know, a degree in accounting. I got fortunate and took a position at one of the leading accounting firms in the country. It was a big accounting firm. So, you know, you're dealing mostly with large companies and wasn't really my thing. I, I then went to JP Morgan and was in the private bank and started to get very educated on estate planning and succession planning and investments, and insurance, and then decided to go into my own business. And within a very short period of time, started to cater mostly to entrepreneurs. Um, many of them that had family businesses, some that had multiple partners, and then just some that just were successful businesses, you know, without necessarily a specific successor. And that's just the direction that I took. And then a few years ago, I wrote a book on business succession planning. Um, and it's a, it's not just a, it's an area that, that gets beyond just tax planning and legal issues. There's a lot of emotional things that come into play in yeah. succession planning. And if you don't really grasp that as an advisor, you're not going to really be able to properly advise your clients. Yeah, that's that's a very important um, topic to discuss is business succession. And I think many small firm architects don't always think about it, right? They get into into business, they start their architecture firm and they're they just do their job. And at the end, when they're done, very often they'll just close the doors and walk away. Right. And there's no there's no succession planned. There's no succession um, uh, executed. Uh, and then also there's there's some firms that do uh, have succession, uh, whether it's internally with an employee or sometimes a family member comes in and takes over the firm um, or they sell, right? They have this plan that they can build out the firm and, and sell it to other people. And so I'd love to have that conversation. I recently, Stephen, I recently had a conversation with a young architect who uh, is getting into business with her father-in-law and her husband. And so uh, they are in the process of business succession from uh, a, uh, an established firm, you know, probably a medium sized or small, a smaller, uh, a larger small firm. We call them not so small firms, larger small firms, maybe 10 or 12 people. He built uh, the father-in-law built that firm into a successful business. And now the son and um, the, the son's wife are who are both architects are now in the process of transition. Uh, and succeeding the the, the father-in-law and so um, we were talking about that and the struggles that that come along with that and um, what are some of the things that a uh, someone in that position where you are uh, there is a succession planned uh, or or not necessarily planned but they want to transition from a a founding member of the firm to a family member in the firm what are some some advice that you can give them well, yeah. I mean, the first thing, Mark, is everybody has a succession plan, whether right. they plan it or not, because if, God forbid, something happens to you, either you get very sick or you, or you die, there's a plan. It's probably not planned out, but there's a plan. You know, your will's going to leave it to somebody, principally your spouse. And in case of being an architect, you may not have the proper licensing, so you may not even be able to continue in a business. And the business will probably be liquidated or just, you know, Maybe it could be sold, but probably liquidated, and there's not going to be a lot of money, you know, you know, left for the family. Um, you know, those type of businesses, accountants, lawyers, financial people, architects, 
um, you know, doctors, it's, it's a little bit different. It's not like a, a, a regular type of an, of an operating business. So, you know, some of the issues that come into play when you're doing succession planning, you know, first is, you know, does dad believe son and daughter-in-law are really the right people to take over the business? Obviously, it sounds like that's the case in this example. And, and it sounds like, you know, son and daughter-in-law are interested in being the successors, which you need to understand a lot of times family businesses, a son or daughter is in the business because either they felt obligated to be in the business by their parents or they couldn't find themselves. And they said, I'm, at least I make a living in my parents' business that I would not make this kind of money if I was on my own. So they kind of find themselves in there, but they don't really want to be the successor of the business. Yeah. So if you kind of overcome the first issue of is, is dad or mom ready to have a successor? Is the son and daughter-in-law the right successor? And the son and daughter-in-law feeling that they're interested to be the successor, you've already overcome a lot of the issues just by that. Right. But if then, let's, let's, let's say you, you, you don't know that. How, how do you go about doing that? Is that just a sit down conversation, just to have an open, you know, open minded conversation about that and bring it right up onto the table? Or are there some other process that they should go through in order to have that discussion? I mean, certainly openness, transparency and honesty is always the best because it's important to understand it. It's like, like, it, even though it's not relevant to this, it's like, oh, I'm going to pick my brother to be my guardian of my kids when I die, but I'm never going to have a conversation with my brother to ask him if he really right. wants to be responsible for my kids when I die. I mean, like, right. that's pretty surprise. So, so, yeah, you know, it's not, not, so obviously with your children, you're going to be real, real careful. But with the business, so yeah, the first thing is you want to have an open, transparent conversation. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully the, the parent and the, the child and the daughter-in-law are going to be honest about what their feelings are. But, you know, you clearly need to do that. If you, if you do that, you know, then some of the issues that come into play are going to be, well, what does dad really want to do? Is dad ready to be out? Is dad just looking to phase out? You know, does dad and mom have enough money to live without continuing to receive compensation from the business? Can the business afford to pay a compensation to dad if he's not making the contribution to the business that he was making before? You know, are you buying dad's shares? Are those shares being gifted to you? Um, what does mom and dad feel about their other children? Is there going to be animosity because some of the other kids are going to say, you know, my brother, he's a smart guy and he's in dad's business, but like dad built this thing up. Like, you know, he's kind of being handed this thing. And, you know, what are, what am I getting? And what am I, you know, my sister getting? And does dad have enough things to give to us? And how do you figure out what's a fair distribution of the estate? And mom and dad may not want to give us it now. They may need these things for their retirement. And we may have to wait for 20, 30 years for mom and dad to be gone before we receive these things. And my brother's going to live this much greater lifestyle than us off of, you know, what my dad has created. Now, certain businesses, architectural businesses, you have clients, but it's like you get projects. You have to just keep getting projects. So there is a, there is a responsibility and there is a risk to the next generation. Can they really maintain this business? Because some of these clients may say, well, if dad's not there anymore, you know, I, 
I don't know if I'm necessarily going to stay and continue to use this business. So it's not like a business where, you know, you could easily transition it to the next generation and basically, you know, everybody's going to stick around as a client and these clients just continue to do business with you. So you have a, a lot of those issues would come into play. So it sounds like there's a lot of uh, expectation management that you need to have that big open conversation. But it's very interesting. A lot of the things you just said are not all so obvious, right? That it's not just about the transition and the relationship between the people who are making that transition, uh, but all of the other people who may be indirectly impacted by that transition, whether they're employees uh, or whether they're siblings, um, uh, spouses, that everybody needs to have that conversation and be on the same page. Mark, you're 100% right. And most people, one of the reasons people don't plan is because besides that, planning requires stopping what you're doing and focusing on something in the, for the future and giving up time towards things for the present. And human nature, humans are not very good at that. You know, it's like we have enough trouble dealing with all of our day in and day out issues. And we many times don't get take care of everything we need to take care of today to get somebody to say time out. I know I, this isn't something I need to do today, but it's important and give up all the emergencies is a challenge. So that's one big reason. The second big reason people don't plan is more of an emotional reason. So, you know, using the example you gave me, dad sits there and says, hmm, you know, I got three kids, you know, like, do I want to really start transferring assets to my son and my daughter-in-law? Like, you know, am I going to tell my other kids? How are my other kids going to deal with that? You know, am I concerned that, you know, I don't have the greatest relationship. This is a hypothetical, but I don't have the greatest relationship with my daughter-in-law. And like, is this going to cause me grief with seeing my grandchildren because they could hold me hostage to my grandkids because they don't think I was fair to them. And it's like, there's so much anxiety that comes into this. And, and a lot of times parents are almost like, I don't want to deal with any of these things while I'm alive. When I'm dead, if my kids are going to kill each other, they're going to kill each other. You know, they may kill each other anyway, you know, and it's like, uh, but I don't want to deal with it today. I want everybody to like me and like my wife and everybody's going to play nice in the sandbox and we're all going to get together for the holidays and have a great time. Even though deep down underneath, some of my kids don't love each other, but they hold it back while I'm here because they, they want to get an inheritance and they don't want to get me upset. So there's a lot of that that goes on. It, it, it real, And then when you start it and like you start to like, you test the waters and you kind of see how they're reacting. And then you're like, I knew this, this is why I didn't want to do this. And then a lot of times they kind of go back and they retreat and they tell all their advisors, I don't want to deal with this right now. Cause they, they just see like, even though it may be the smart thing to do, it's going to lead to too much anxiety and stress and family feuds that like, and I'm just not going to deal with it right now. So that's, you're right. I mean, it, it, there's a lot of, and, and employees true, you know, employees even like, do they have respect for the son or daughter that's going to take over the business? Or they feel like they were just handed it, you know, and maybe they don't want to stay. Maybe like the employees, dad is 65 and the employee's 50 and the kids are 30. And like, you know, do I want to be reporting to this 30 year old who I know more about the business than they do? And 
then you may not keep some of your key employees, they may leave, they may go to competitors. So all of those things come into play. We will return to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsor, ArtCat. As more businesses and tenants demand green design in their buildings, LEED certification is more important than ever. And while ArtCat is known for being red, you know, with their big red A, they can help you go green. ArtCat provides thousands of LEED reports from building product manufacturers on how their products can help you make the green choice that's right for your project. Head over to rcat.com and find the information you need for LEED. rcat.com, that's A-R-C-A-T.com. Please visit rcat today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Yeah, and so there's a lot of talking that needs to happen. Um, are there, once you go through that process and you have those conversations with the the spouses and the, the siblings and the, and the actual people that you're going to transition with, um, your, uh, the employees, is, is there some sort of document process that uh, needs to happen in this planning process? You know, so you have this conversation, everybody agrees, we're going to go ahead with it, we've worked out all the issues. Um, what do we do after we sort of set those expectations? Well, well, clearly, you know, some of the things are not really something you're going to document. They're just conversations that you've right. had, expectations, you know, but anything that's, you know, that's important, like who gets the shares and when they get the shares and what happens if someone gets divorced or if they die or they get sick and, and you know, or, or trying to retain key employees, those you have to document. And that's obviously going to be done by a lawyer that, e that either is the current you know, corporate, you know, tax lawyer that the family deals with, or, you know, somebody on the team is going to recommend somebody in, but it really, you hit upon like so many different verticals. And, you know, one of my, you know, if I was to say like, what is my biggest selling point, my unique selling proposition yeah. is that I, I know so much about so many different subjects. So I'm a CPA, but I don't really, I'm not even my own accountant. I have no interest to do it. But being an accountant, I understand all of the tax and financial statement issues. I'm not a lawyer, but I've been involved in so many estate plannings and succession plans. You know, I can't draft documents, but I understand every element. I know everything about all the investment and insurance products and pension issues. So it's like, a lot of people value me on the team because I'm like the person in the UN that could speak five different languages and nothing slips through the cracks. And all of the team members are usually smart and they know their business and they know a certain amount about what everybody else does. But generally I'm the person that kind of really gets everything. And it's important to have somebody like that on your team because otherwise there's gonna be things that slip through the process. And you also need somebody on the team that's like the, the pusher of the process, you know, setting up every time there's a meeting, okay, we're all together, let's take out our calendars, let's set up the next meeting or the next call and like keeping the ball going because the biggest thing that will cause it not to happen is cancellations of meetings and postponements or, or somebody having responsibility like the lawyer, not getting the work done in a timely manner and you lose momentum. So 
all of that is so, so important. So certainly some of this has to be documented legally so that it's enforceable. Yeah. And so the position that you, you fill, the role that you fill uh, is the guide essentially through this process that, that you've been through it before. You've had lots of experience with many different scenarios. You have an understanding in legal, you have an understanding in tax, you have an understanding in psychology, right? You understand a lot of different pieces. And, and so to have somebody on your team that can sort of translate the things you might not understand, uh, show you the path to success because they've done it before is critical. So if that person is uh, important to have on your team when you're starting this process, how does someone, I, obviously they can reach out to you, but if they uh, are, want to find somebody local to them, what are some of the suggestions you might make to find that right person? Because there's a lot of people who say, oh, we'll do succession planning, but how do you find the right person for you? Yeah, well, it's not, it's not always easy. I mean, a lot of times it comes from recommendations from people that you trust. The problem, where the problem comes into play, and I have a lot of respect for CPAs and attorneys. I work with many of them. I refer them business. They refer me business. Um, but a lot of times ego gets in the way. And with most businesses, there is usually an advisor. I would say more times than not, it's the CPA. Occasionally, it's the lawyer. That's the one with the deepest, closest relationship. And a lot of times there's egos involved and that person wants to be the kind of coach and the, 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 the center of this process. Sometimes they don't even want the other people in the process, but if they do have them in, they wanna be the one kind of moving it along. And a lot of times the, the family and the business looks to that person and they don't wanna step on that person's toes. But many times the CPA and the lawyer are not necessarily the right person to do this. They should be involved in the process. They're very valuable and they're needed, but they may should maybe shouldn't be the quarterback. So, you know, you could look up family business consultants. You could try to get recommendations from other families to see who they've used in the process. Um, I would say most of the time, a person like me is not generally who's quarterbacking the process, not because it's not the right thing. It just isn't what normally happens. It's normally the accountant or the lawyer is going to be mm -hmm. the one that you're going to find is kind of quarterbacking the process. Right. Do you recommend that once you find that person, whether it's a CPA or whether it's a lawyer or whether it's someone like you, um, that you allow them to sort of uh, establish the team of consultants who are going to do the work? Or is it okay to sort of say, okay, I'm bringing in my attorney and my CPA and, you know, I, I'm going to have this person who's going to be in charge. Do you have a recommendation on that? It's actually a good question. I mean, look, it's very difficult for somebody to like, no matter who they meet and how smart they think that person is to just abandon, you know, their team of advisors that they trust over the years. So I would say generally, you're going to work with their existing advisors the client is going to try to dictate to a degree how they would like to see this process happen. Uh, they aren't necessarily going to say, oh, you're, you know, you're reporting into this new guy in the process. They're just going to say Steve or John or Mary is now part of the team. And hopefully everybody's going to play nice in the sandbox. And, and if everybody plays nice in the sandbox and everybody's skilled, you could work with the existing team. I would say that, um, a lot of times the lawyer is not necessarily, they may have like their business lawyer 
but that this may not be what their real specialty is. Right. And you don't necessarily have to get rid of your lawyer. Like most people have one accountant. They don't have like five accountants, but many people have multiple lawyers for different reasons. So it may just be that you may have to bring in a, a different lawyer with a different skill for this, um, that you're not going to necessarily get rid of your existing lawyer. You just may not use them for this particular purpose. But most people are going to stay with their current account because they trust them and they've been with them a long time. And hopefully everybody's going to work well together. Um, clients, clients sometimes, the, the clients who really want to get this done right are very open to a team and having a team, having everybody work together. Sometimes clients, it's not that they don't want to get it right, but their ego comes into play. And basically they, they don't want to get teamed up against. So like if they bifurcated and they talk to their accountant and their lawyer and a Steve Goodman and their, their financial planner, it's like one-on-one -on -one to hear what they have to say. But if like I'm a business owner and I'm in a room with four advisors and I respect them and the four of them get together and say, you know, John or Mark, you should do it this way. You know, if you're not going to listen to them, why are you using them if they all together come up? And sometimes they don't like that. So they want to kind of one off everybody. So they don't have to like have that kind of knock them over the head and say, this is the way you should do it. So, you know, sometimes the, the, the business owner is their worst enemy and sometimes they're not. So all of these things come into play. And one other comment to go back to something you mentioned earlier, what I try to do a lot of times in a meeting is an advisor may say something to a client and I sit there and I say to myself, the likelihood that the client totally understood that is not high. And then I'll say to the client, I won't be disrespectful to the other person, but I say like, Mark, let me kind of put this another way. And then like, I'll, I'll bring it kind of down to them. And I'll say like, this happened and this is, and, and they'll start nodding their head like they get it. Because if during the meeting, stuff is going over their head, which there will be stuff that will go over their head. This is not what they do for a living. The more times you can kind of stop the process and make sure they're understanding, you know, they have to, they have to know the letter B before they can put the word cat together, you know, like you got to kind of go through it. And that's the other thing I try to do with people so that nothing slips through the cracks. So once, once you go through this process, is there, is there actually a plan document that is the ultimate uh, deliverable? Is there, is, is there a, a, you know, a, a document that they can refer to as they go through this process and say, okay, this is the first step, this is the second step. Is there, is there such a document that's, that's developed? Not always, but it's a great idea. You know, I mean, you're going to have, as I said before, there will be legal documents. Right, right. But actually something like outlining step by step what everybody's going to do. I mean, I do that not always, but occasionally with people. Um, but that that's a great idea. I mean, it's, you know, it's 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 smart. It, it doesn't necessarily need to be comprehensive. It could yeah. maybe be a couple of page little summary memo that outlines it. Now, a lot of that exists because during the process, there's memos written. And, you know, you're kind of following a process. And a lot of times I'm the one doing that. But at the end, to kind of like put it into something, summarizing it, I think that's a very good idea. What about long term? So you go through this process and you have all these discussions. Everybody's finally agreeing. All the consultants are working together. You put together this outline. This is these are the steps and you execute. What what are some of the uh, recommendations or tips you can give them? in terms of uh, longer term execution of this process? 
Again, that's a very good question. Um, this is not a one-time thing. Uh, you know, basically, if nothing significant changes in your life, whether something with the business, divorces, deaths, new, ch you know, grandchildren, you know, you don't have to do this every year. But I would say every every major event it should be relooked at. And when there isn't a major event, I would say every three four years, you know, somebody should be getting the team back together and saying, let's kind of like just relook at this. And you'd be astonished. Like people are like, I picked that person as my executor. That's the beneficiary of this policy. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> almost like, like, and this is like three years ago. It's almost like the, the world changed in that yeah. three year period of time. So yeah, you, you certainly do not want to go too far because you know then something happens to somebody and there's a reasonable chance that the plan isn't really what they still want it to be. Yeah, and the and the the process is something that we don't we don't we should not be waiting until we're ready to 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 execute this this process, right? The 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 idea here is to plan this out way before it's time to execute, right? One hundred percent. But again, as I said earlier, easier said than done. Yeah, right. You know? And and sometimes people plan like. If God forbid, you know, you find out that you have cancer and you have less than a year to live, I mean, at least God has given you the opportunity to say, okay, I only have a year to live, so what do I, how do I get my ducks in a row? But right. a lot of the plans that you would implement, you don't have enough time or your health is not going to permit you to implement it. I mean, like as an example, sometimes in a plan, you may say, all right, I'm going to leave my business to my son or daughter and I'm going to you know, I'm going to leave something to my other kids and maybe I'll buy them a life insurance policy. And that's how I'll, you know, provide them with some money to make up for it. Well, you know, if you have a year to live and you have cancer, you're not getting a life insurance policy. So, you know, and then there's estate planning techniques you can't even do if you have that short of a period of time to, to live. So, you know, that's why, you know, if you have the, the, the uh, wherewithal to plan, always much better. Do it early, do it often, right? 100%. Yeah. Is there anything else that we should be focused on before we wrap things up here? Well, look, you know, this is a subject that we could talk about for hours, you know, like we've kind of just had like a little bit of a tip of the iceberg, you know, sometimes I'll, which a lot of this is in my book, which I'll reference to in a minute, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll also get into like fact patterns. Like I got one kid in the business, one kid not in the business, two kids in the business, one kid not in the business. What are some of the problems that come out in all these scenarios? And each one of them has their own little dilemmas. So, uh, you know, there's a lot more depth you can get into in this area. Yeah. What's the name of the book? It's a business succession planning. And uh, I have a, a I have two sites. One is called stephengoodman.biz, where you could download a free copy of the book. It's about 100-ish pages. It's written more for the business owner than necessarily for the CPA or attorney. I mean, it's, you know, a little right. bit technical stuff, but not that much. And then, you know, also you can come to my website, shgplanning.com, where I have a blog with about, I don't know, about 60 different articles that touch upon a lot of subjects, many which we didn't cover today. Great, great. All right. So final question before we wrap things up, what is one thing a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Uh, I'm a believer of surround yourself with a lot of smart people and be very open-minded to, to communicate with them and get advice from people. The more people you speak to, everybody's going to hit you with something different. And, and I'm, I'm a believer. I want to learn every day. 
Like any day that I haven't learned something is a day that's passed me by. And sometimes it relates to my business and sometimes it relates to nothing to do with my business. Sometimes it could just relate to how you get along with people. So that's my biggest advice is just have smart people around you and always be open to talk to new people. Good advice. Stephen Goodman, it's shgplanning.com is his, is his website for the business. If you want a copy of the, of the book for free, stephengoodman.biz. It's S-T-E-V-E-N, goodman.biz. Stephen, this has been very interesting, very informative. I appreciate you for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I, I really enjoyed it. Access to the show notes for this one is entrearchitect.com slash episode 374. This might be one of those episodes that you would like to also share. Succession planning is one of those things that we all need to be thinking about, and we're not always thinking about it. So if you know somebody who is thinking about this, this process of uh, transitioning their firm from one, one owner to another, this is the episode to share. Share this link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 374. Entree Architect Podcast is proud to be a partner with the largest, most engaged AEC multimedia network on the planet, Gable Media. We're curating thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. That's you. So if you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast and you like this podcast, you should go to gablemedia.com and listen and subscribe to all the shows. That's gablemedia.com. Go check it out at gablmedia.com. And enrollment for our new Passive Income for Architects Mastermind. Yes, a Passive Income for Architects Mastermind is now open. Enrollment is now open. If you are planning or executing a passive income strategy for your architecture firm, right? A product or a service of some sort that's based on a passive income strategy, or you're an architect launching a separate brand or business based on a passive income strategy, this is the mastermind for you. We have 15 masterminds, actually 17 masterminds in total. This is going to be a mastermind group that is exclusively for architects developing a passive income strategy. It's a powerful weekly peer group exclusive to architects uh, that are building a passive income strategy. So you can learn more at entrearchitect.com slash passive income. A membership is going to be limited to 10 members. So if you're interested, go there now, entrearchitect.com slash passive income. Be well, my friends. Oh, one other thing. Every Mastermind member gets full membership at the Entree Architect Academy. So our Entree Architect Academy membership and all of the things that come along with that membership, free for Mastermind members. So go check out Passive Income Mastermind for Architects at entrearchitect.com slash passive income. Be well, my friends. Be healthy, happy, safe, and secure. Thank you for listening today. Love, learn, and go share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. 
where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.